Welcome to the Young Journalist Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Kroger. In today's episode, I talked to my good friend, Jesse Cohen. Jesse is a multimedia journalist at WHAS 11 in Louisville, Kentucky. In today's episode, we talk a wide range of topics. We talk about how it's like covering the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's like covering the Black Lives Matter protests and so much more. So sit back and enjoy. All right, Jesse, thank you for coming on to the podcast. I mean, uh, first question I've been asking everybody during this uh, podcast series is, uh, I mean, how's quarantine life treating you? How's the social distancing life treating you? Um, it, it's pretty wild. I think as we're at that point right now where things have very much normalized in the COVID world, at least for work. Uh, we've gotten super used to working outside of the building, being remote, you know, as reporters, a lot of our job is in the field anyway. So we've kind of just become experts at, at dealing with technology problems in the field and making sure everything is charged constantly and having different access to different resources and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, we all are hoping that one day we'll be back in that newsroom and that we'll be able to, um, be together but I think my biggest thing is I really am looking forward to the day that I can once again talk to people on a regular basis in person we're starting to do that a little more um the first few months we're super strict about sticking to zoom calls and making sure that we're not um seeing people face to face not going inside and now there's a little bit more flexibility with seeing people outside which I think has been great because it just kind of changes the dynamic of talking to your interview subjects. Yeah, no, I feel you there. Cause I feel like I have better interviews when I'm like in person outside of like phone. Cause I mean, you can read people's mannerisms and like see which question maybe like sets them off or like gives them kind of like a hint that there might be a deeper backstory there. But I mean, this is a pretty wild year to be a news reporter, in my opinion. I mean, we're only halfway through 2020, but I mean, the crap news people have had to cover. Uh, because, I mean, obviously I'm in sports, so I don't have to cover most of the stuff that you guys have covered. Like, I mean, I've touched on some of those events, obviously. But, I mean, you had to cover a freaking pandemic, a global pandemic, and COVID. And then, obviously, the Black Lives Matter protests uh, movement. Uh, protest movement. I'm not sure which one's the more correct, I guess, movement uh, that's also gone on during this pandemic. So let's first talk about how it's covering a global pandemic because I feel like you don't really get trained for that in college or anywhere. Yeah, I think this whole year has brought on obstacles that nobody is trained for. I talked to a lot of mentors and my bosses and people in the company that I work for who have been, this, have been in this business for 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years and say, we've never covered anything like this. We've never seen our industry um, tackle something quite like this. I think it makes us realize just how important our jobs are. Um, it makes us realize that on the days that things are really tough, um, that it's needed. And I, as an MMJ, um, so what that means is a multimedia journalist. So I write, shoot, edit, find my own stories. I'm a one-man band, I do everything. Um, but I can get so hooked on, cause since I am really a photographer at heart, I get really hooked on everything looking beautiful and sounding beautiful and wanting to tell this beautiful story with everything that I do. And while there's, of course, opportunities for that, this pandemic has proved that that has to come second right now and the information has to come first. And, you know, there are 
there are really no lack of stories out there right now, which is always something that's hard in our business. But you know, every single day, it's not a matter of like, what should we talk about? It's what's the most pressing? What should we be dedicating our reporters to really digging deep into and to talk to people about and to find out? Because we can never cover everything. We just have to cover as much as we possibly can. And I mean, in a pandemic like this, you know, I just did an interview this past Saturday with a uh, researcher from one of the top research universities here in Louisville. And he kept saying like, we are doing something that we've never done before. We are watching science in real time. Um, so they're constantly learning more about this, this virus. Things that were said in March are not true anymore. So it's up to us to constantly update and explain and to explain to people that it's not that we're giving false information, it's that we are giving you that timely information every single day and that it changes. And we have to be transparent about that, that everything could change because this virus is so unknown. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I mean, uh, with COVID and like COVID coverage, uh, I mean, like you see now, I mean, it's been four months since this pandemic has hit the United States. I mean, a lot more people, I guess, have been more relaxed about this, right? Right? Like people like are tired of COVID, like the COVID fatigue has kind of set in on some uh, of America here. I mean, when do you think it's time to maybe lessen the COVID coverage? Like, when do you think that might stop? Like, because I know, like here at my paper, we're still covering COVID a lot. Like, I mean, COVID, like we have three to four COVID stories probably daily, right? Like that's, and I feel like that's a lot for a smaller market like Laredo that I'm in. So when do you think it's maybe time to go past COVID, I guess, coverage and like not let that dominate the news cycle? You always have to think about what is the most newsworthy thing of the day. We talk about this all the time when it comes to our lead stories. You know, we were, I had a conversation just last week with my boss saying it's amazing that right now our lead story almost every single day for the last four and a half, almost five months has either centered around this pandemic or the racial injustices that have been taking over in this country. That is the most, those are the two most important things for us to be discussing right now. So until they're not, we cannot stop talking about it. And I think that even when that time comes that COVID is something that was in the past, we're going to continue to have to talk about it because it is going to change our future indefinitely. It's going to change the future of industries and businesses. I mean, we are watching in every community, whether you're in a smaller area like Laredo where you are, or whether you're in a more medium-sized market where I am in Louisville, or if you're in New York City where my parents are, everyone is still talking about this. Businesses are affected on every scale, whether it's local, whether it's national. So until we are not feeling the effects of this anymore, until people aren't dying, until people have their unemployment issues fixed, until people's jobs aren't on the on the line, we can't stop talking about this. So while we're all exhausted and while I, I could reiterate facts in my sleep at this point about things that I've done or learned or heard, it is so important that we remind people not to forget about it because we have so many people who don't believe that the threat of this is real. And we are watching people die every single day. As a journalist, I'm talking to health experts on a constant basis. And 
it's up to me and it's up to my team and all local news teams out there to continue to reiterate that information. So while we're all tired, you know, I'm tired too. That's even more of a reason why we have to talk about it more now than we have at the beginning. You know, just last week I was saying we should go back to the basics. Like we've got to talk about those things that we talked about at the beginning testing and you know false negative results and if you do get this what you should do about that all that kind of stuff we have to continue to drill it into people's minds yeah no i definitely agree uh, with you there uh, because i mean this virus is pretty like it is deadly and it's still affecting lives but i mean you mentioned covering protests uh the black lives matter movement that has struck this nation uh to its core in my opinion uh because there's obviously uh, racial injustices taking place every day pretty much here in, in America, which is real, excuse my French bullshit, like, like it's bad that we're having this till like, in 2020 when it sh- probably should never have happened, like, 200 years ago. But, I mean, how is it, we- like, how is it covering a protest? Because with COVID, like, the recommendation is to, like, Either stay inside, stay six feet away from people, wear a mask. I mean, how is it being kind of shoulder to shoulder with people during a protest during a global pandemic? You have to think about what matters. And the minute that the protest started, at least here in Louisville, um, what mattered was talking about Breonna Taylor's story. And what mattered was talking about the pain that all of these black people are feeling and have felt for hundreds of years and you have to pick and choose your risk while it's not the smartest thing to go out to dinner or you know to go to a store x amount of days a week that's a risk that you choose to take as local journalists it wasn't even a question of if that risk was worth it There were people who were putting their lives at risk. There were people who have now been out in Louisville for 40-something straight days protesting. Since that Thursday, I will not never forget that Thursday night. I had a really long day. I got called out to a breaking news um, plane crash about an hour away. And around 8.30 at night, we had kind of heard that protests were starting downtown. We didn't know the extent of what things were. And at a little past 10 o'clock, I got called out there and didn't get home until past 3 a.m. that morning. Since that moment where I watched people just uh, so emotionally get their frustrations out in the middle of our streets, whether that was chanting or holding signs or, you know, breaking windows, whatever that was, for the extent of that to get to where it was, you have to realize how real and raw all of this is. And so for me, I knew I was putting myself at risk with a pandemic, but it didn't matter in my mind. I was wearing my mask. I was being as smart as I could. I still had my microphone on a 10 foot pole. You know, we were doing everything we could in that moment to make sure that we didn't necessarily have to touch people. You know, our bosses were constantly saying, stay on the perimeter, stay on the perimeter. You guys are too close. Back up, back up. And that, regardless of there being a pandemic, that's just also the smart way to cover protesting in general. You never want to be in the middle of it when you have a job to report on what's happening around you. So I think we all, you know, did the precautions that we could. Like I said, wearing a mask, using those poles, you know, standing X amount of feet away from people. Um, and 
being outside is a huge part too. So while there were small risks, the reward of tell, making sure that these people's voices were heard and are heard because we're still covering this was so important. You also have to realize that I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. This was Brianna Taylor's home. Her name is a name that is stretched nationwide, if not worldwide at this point. And so I think it was even more important here than ever, you know, or anywhere else, because we weren't just fighting for her, but her name became this platform for the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, these names, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, they became platforms for this larger movement and even more reason to get justice. Um, I'll be honest with you. We as journalists have to be unbiased in so many things, and I can handle that and tell both sides of the story. But when it comes to being racist, there is no right or there is no wrong. There, sorry, there is no two-sided prong to that. There is no um, there's no being unbiased. You know, I will. I will stand up for those people forever. And that's why it's so important that us as journalists make that clear that this has never been a political issue. Racism has never been a political issue. And it shouldn't be. These are people's lives we're talking about. So not only is it important that we're out there telling these stories, but that we're making it very clear that we're listening and that we care and that we want to make sure that we're part of that change so that the first, like the next generations don't have to grow up with what these people have been living with for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, no, I definitely agree there. And you mentioned Brianna Taylor uh, because uh, you kind of see this, I mean, because you guys obviously were covering Brianna's death way before the national news was, I assume, like, because, I mean, you guys heard the local market and so forth. I mean, how is it, like, is it weird being, like, in, like, a local market like you are in Louisville where a person whose, like, name has kind of, like, become this movement, come become this platform and like see probably like a lot of national news people like come in like how's that like trying to be like the top because you guys have covered this uh Breonna Taylor's death from the beginning and now to see national news come in just like right when the movement starts going like how weird is that I think it proves just how important local news is you know when Brianna died nobody knew her name that was in early March no one knew what had happened. It wasn't until, um, you know, weeks later that the conversation started and it, things weren't adding up. And the day that the first protest started was the day that the 911 calls were released by Kenneth Walker, who was her boyfriend. And the big question was, you know, if he knew police were at the door or not. Um, so we did our jobs the best we could at that moment with the information that we were given to continually get the information out there. And all of a sudden you realize like that we are, we are this small entity who's now making sure that people all over the country know what's happening in this community. And that it's so representative of injustices that happen everywhere, not just here in Louisville. Um, you know, I've said this over and over over the last few weeks, but I think if the, these protests have taught me anything, it's that in order for major change to happen, it has to happen in your community. It has to happen on the local level in order for it to have everlasting change. You know, I was covering the day um, 
that the no-knock warrants got banned here in Louisville, which is we were the first city nationwide to ever ban no-knock warrants. That's a huge deal. And it was the same day that um, our senator was possibly going, he had announced that he was going to bring it to the national level and get that, try to get that passed on the national level. And banning no-knock warrants is a huge deal. That's not, you know, a small um, passing. It had no-knock warrants been banned in the first place, Breonna Taylor would still be alive. So I think that while it's, it's crazy that all eyes have been on Louisville for the last few weeks, um, it doesn't matter. You know, it could be anywhere. It's our jobs to make sure that wherever those big injustices are happening that are being put on social media and these big spotlights that wherever you are, you're taking it, you're learning from it, and you're finding out how it's also happening in your community. It has started so many conversations about not just, you know, policing, but our system in general and about the world and the history that led us to this moment. So I think all in all, while it's it's a big deal that we had to cover this and I think it, it put more pressure on us to make sure that we were that we're doing a good job and that we're getting every side of the story and we're talking to as many people as we possibly can. It was just even a, a bigger reminder to me um, about why local news, more than network news, I think, or any other form of news, is so important. And we cannot, cannot lose trust from our communities. It's so crucial. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Uh, after entering the workforce, I've realized that local news is way more important than the national brands that, like, obviously I kind of like, grew up, like, idolizing but i mean we're gonna pivot to maybe a more lighthearted discussion because obviously that those were very serious topics but uh i just want to get into now your background as a journalist uh i know uh because we are friends uh, uh and whatnot so i already know kind of like where you went to college and like most of your background but a lot of people don't know but i know you went to maryland i mean what made you decide jesse cohen is that be a journalist who graduated from university of maryland sure um one quick thing I do want to say is while, you know, I could talk about racial injustices and in our coverage all day long, I really want to encourage people who are listening to have those conversations, um, whether it's with friends like Garrett or whether it's um, with your family who may not agree with you or whether it's, you know, with strangers. I really encourage you to have these conversations because we all have to do a better job at being uncomfortable, um, especially as a white woman. I I want to feel more uncomfortable. I want to have those conversations to put me in a place where I can acknowledge my privilege. So just on that note, I just want to say to anyone who's listening to have those conversations, keep being active, keep paying attention, educate yourself, talk to people, um, and do your part because that's the only way we're going to get through this. But back to your question. Um, I, uh, I'm from New Jersey. I'm from right outside New York City about two-minute drive from the Upper West Side, and I always thought I was going to be an actress. I grew up with a theater background, um, was convinced that I was going to go to school for acting or musical theater, and I did a lot of programs growing up. I was a dancer, 
And I really thought that that was going to be my future. And kind of one day I just kind of said after putting in everything I had gotten that I didn't think I was going to be good enough and I really didn't want to be a struggling actress. So why not just be a struggling journalist? (laughs) And um, I think like growing up, I realized what I really loved about and what I still love about performance and what I love about journalism is the ability to tell stories. And it's two different mediums of telling stories, but it's, it, that's what it is at, at its core. It's telling stories. It's, um, educating and informing in different ways and unique ways and keeping people on their toes. Um, and so I thought I wanted to kind of stick with the entertainment world and do entertainment journalism. And I landed the big internship at TMZ in LA and then realized that it wasn't for me. <laughs> and, um, I went to the university of Maryland and caught for college and had a really, really strong background in local news, uh, a lot of the professors there, a lot of the mentors there, they all are, are some of the best in the business um, in the Maryland, D.C. area and then all over the country. Uh, but I had I had been taught just how creative local news could be. I was very turned off my whole life to local news that only ever covered shootings and crime. And I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted I, I'm a very creative person, so I wanted that creative outlet. Um, and I was like, all right, I guess I'm doing this thing. Um, and like anybody else in this business, you apply to a million places your, for your first job with every intention to be going somewhere really weird. And I'll never forget the phone call to my parents being like, okay, uh, I, I think I'm going to Fargo, North Dakota. And my mom was like, what? What, what do you mean you're going to Fargo? And I, and I said to her, I go, where even is that? Like, I had no idea what I was getting myself into or where I was going. Um, and I won't lie, it was a really hard two years, but it taught me so much. Um, and it made me, you know, a lot of people's first jobs make them leave the business because they realize it's not for them. And if anything, I think I realized just how much this business means to me and while there was a, a lot of hardships to get to where you want to go. And there's a lot of paying your dues and a lot of learning. Um, I felt like I am really good at it. And I think I'm really have a passion to help people who don't always think they have a voice, have a voice. And that's what I hold on to is that storytelling aspect that um, I've always loved. That you're a storyteller at heart, right? That's what you love to do. I mean, is there any sort of story that, like, if Jesse Cohen today, for some reason, decide to give up on journalism, like, decide, all right, pivot, new industry I'm going into, what's the one, like, or maybe handful of stories that you'd be proud of? Um, that I would be proud of. Um, I think I'm proud of a lot. I think I'm really proud of the last few months of our team's coverage. While it may not have been the strongest story storytelling, um, I'm actually in the process right now of, uh, we have this partnership between my station and Nextdoor. If you're familiar with that app, it's a community neighborhood app where people can join in their own communities and post different things and whatnot. And anyway, um, my goal of, I'm the on-air representative for this program. Um, Once a lot of these uh, protests started, I was getting a lot of messages from people just talking about their own personal experiences, about growing up in Louisville, and specifically Louisville locally, how the city became as segregated as it is. Um, I've had a lot of conversations since then 
with a lot of our community leaders about Louisville is such a good representation of just how divided our country is on a local level. Um, redlining was a huge issue here. And because of that, we have an extremely segregated uh, community where predominantly black low-income families live on in West Louisville and are not given access to a lot of things that people on the east side are. So I'm in the process right now of uh, doing a lot of interviews with people locally about their own experiences, where they grew up, the world they grew up in, and kind of how it's changed growing up in Louisville versus the world that they live in now. And I feel that like while I do not want to be that white girl who tries to educate people on racial inequities, I want to be that person who listens as much as I possibly can to these communities that haven't had a voice or anyone to express it to. Um, and my goal is to really take myself completely out of this and continue to do these interviews um, and hopefully do a series with all these people who have all different personal experiences, but can all relate back to the same things, whether that's um, opportunities because of their income on their wealth status, or whether that's a one family household and having, you know, separated parents uh, or not knowing one of your parents. There's a lot of these things that um, contribute a whole lot to the world that we're living in now and the segregation um, that I don't think people think about on a regular basis. I know I didn't think about it on a regular basis until I started to have these conversations. So while it's still in the works, I think it's something that I will be really proud of to allow these people to have a voice and share their their stories so that we can give it a platform. Um, so I'm working on that right now. I think I've also spoken to you about this in the past. Um, I've done a lot of work with veterans and I have a soft spot for them. Um, I think that there's a lot of heartache um, and change that happens when you transition to life after war that a lot of people have never thought about. Um, and just this last November, me and two other coworkers got a chance to do a week long series with veterans from all over the area uh, about what that transition looked like. And it was really cool because we got to do a round table with one person from every war who's still alive. And they shared what the stigma was around mental health and what the pressure was like leaving um, war and having PTSD and how they helped them, tra them transition back to normal life. And it was an awesome conversation. It was an awesome opportunity, even though it didn't solve everything in the world, but we got a lot more eyes on the issue. So I'm really proud of that. Um, and I also think that right now, something I'm really proud of is that we, um, as a journalist personally, anytime I can get somebody to say to me, you weren't what I expected, or you asked all the right questions, or you made me feel so comfortable, like, or you did such a great job in capturing everything and you had every side to it, or anytime I get complimented on really telling the truth and telling the core of that, it makes me really proud because there's so much distrust in journalism right now. And while I cannot change the minds of the entire industry, what I can do is at least try to change minds about my work um, and my com my station's work and my company's work and, and remind people and constantly drill into their brains that we are here for them. And that is truly the only reason why all of us choose to move to weird places, work weird hours. You know, the, the big saying is you're, you're overworked and you're underpaid and you, you never see your family on holidays. And we all take that vow because 
making sure that um, we are capturing the voices of the voiceless um, is everything. So I think I'm just more proud of my work now more than ever. Yeah, I feel you there. And I mean, you're, I mean, you're young. I mean, you're like, what, 25? Like you're my age? Like, yeah, it's for 25 in September. Yeah, no, that's crazy. And whatnot. And I mean, like, I mean, yeah, you've only been in like the true industry. I like as a professional for like, what, three years, four years now and so Just forth. a little over three years. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, but I mean, that's still experience. Like that's still a lot of experience uh, for your age and so forth. I mean, granted you're... You don't have like 20 years of experience, but I mean, you still have three years that you can provide advice. So if there was a young person who tried to be an MMJ one day, what would be the one set or like one, like what, what type of advice would you offer them pretty much? I've gotten a lot of great advice, um, but I will always say never, ever, ever think you know it all. If you're in this industry one year, 90 years, however many years, I promise you will always have something new to learn. Um, and there's never one way to do something. The best advice I think I ever got in this business was if somebody tells you that's wrong or this is the way to do something, they are most likely wrong. Because in our business, it's all about, it's all creative. It's all an artistic choice um, and it's all personal. So. Yes, there are there are ways to do something wrong, but there are not. There's usually not just one way to do something right. Um, and have your mark on things. You know, while you want to learn and you want to do things the way your bosses want you to do them, and while you want to really kick butt and and make deadline and all those sorts of things, don't forget about like your special pizzazz whatever that is you know um don't forget what makes you unique because we're in a business where there's a million of us there's always someone else who wants to be doing this and um if you're not happy doing it then they'll just find somebody else to do it um so you have to kind of in your work every day find something that makes it yours um, and put your stamp on it and be proud of that. I'll also say that this business, while many people who are wanting to get into it probably have heard this from their mentors, and if they haven't, then they need to hear it. But this is a business that you have to want to be in so badly to make it work. You give up a lot, and there's a lot of industries like that, but you've got to love it. You really have to love it, and you've got to be prepared to put in your time for a long time before you feel like you quote made it. I know a lot of people who say, I thought getting to this market was going to make me feel like I made it. Or I thought landing this anchor gig and this schedule was going to make me feel like I made it. And then they got there and they, you know, there's more, there's always more. Um, so don't always look at it as like a journey that has, an end destination like think of it as a marathon like you're you keep going just keep going um and be proud you know this job there are going to be a lot of people who tell you they hate the media there's going to be a lot of people who tell you they hate you um even though they don't know you and i have a very hard time with with criticism when it's a personal thing and you got to learn to have a, a backbone a little bit so don't be scared be brave Make sure you're in it for the right reasons. If you want to be in it because you want to be on TV, get out. (laughs) 
and um, be strong. This industry is more needed now more than ever. So we need young, fresh minds who are ready to take the plunge. Yeah, I definitely agree with all that advice. Like 110% agree there. But uh, I mean, those are really all the questions I have for you. I mean, uh, typically at the end of each podcast, I let the person who I talk to just plug in where people can find their work. So go ahead now. Sure, it's easy. Um, my social medias are all pretty much the same. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Jesse Cohen News. That's Jesse with an I-E and then Cohen, C-O-H-E-N, uh, News. So I am finally getting better at Twitter. I was really bad at Twitter. My boyfriend will tell you that. Uh, I'm like a 90-year-old woman when it comes to social media and doesn't understand why I use Facebook as much as I do. Um, but I'm finally getting better on Twitter, so you'll see that I'm active on there. Instagram, still trying to figure out how it like pertains to my news life. Um, difficult, but figuring it out. Um, and then Facebook, I'm on a decent amount. And honestly, go to my YouTube page. I have videos on there. I post my most recent stories. Um, yeah, I don't publicly really talk about it because it's kind of just my my uh, hard drive of where I keep some of my, my more important stories. But they're on there if you'd like to check them out. <laughs> um, and then other, you know, one last plug, I guess, aside from my own work is like, for anybody watching right now, like news is really important to consume right now. So even if you are someone who's used to just getting your news from Twitter or used to getting this, like expand your palette right now, you know, check out YouTube, check out some of these bloggers check out some of the local sources that you've never heard about check out your local newspapers they are incredible um i know ours here in louisville the courier journal is amazing so just be informed and um while you're looking at my work make sure to look at everybody else's also yeah definitely agree and i mean i really appreciate your time jesse anytime <laughs>